Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Access Ninja Podcast. I'm Jonathan Campbell. And I'm Rachel Magario. And welcome to, uh, this is the, the second uh, podcast since we rebooted here, so it's uh, it's good to be back. Yay, I'm so excited. So today we're going to talk about, well, just a, a couple different things. We're going to go through some some different topics of maybe some things people have heard about or maybe not, but I think the first topic we were going to talk about is actually a series of tweets uh, that a, uh, a an individual posted after visiting uh, Apple's new campus, specifically the visitor section of the campus. So he's not an employee. He was just an individual that was visiting. And he noticed some of the uh, accessible designs in the visitor center, whether some of them on purpose, some of them maybe by accident, and some of them maybe very thoughtful. And uh, and so this Twitter user, if you want to check it out, um, his... Uh, his Twitter handle, I'm going to spell it because I don't know how he wants it said, but it's X-A-R-P-H. Like Zarf? I don't know how to I'm not sure how to say that. Do you want to take a run at that? Yeah, what was it again? X what? X-A-R-P-H. I would say that's, yeah, Zarf. Zarf. So he's at Zarf. And uh, he posted these, uh, this was a little bit ago. This was February twenty here and uh, if people don't have easy access to this I'm going to go ahead and read off uh, verbatim what he said uh, these were also accompanied with images so if you are able to to see those images and want to uh, check him out on Twitter uh, one more time that's X-A-R-P-H uh, so go ahead and check him out and this was on February 24th so the first thing that he tweeted uh, was uh, this is a photograph of you know when you enter a building and it has automatic doors. There's usually uh, a button that's mounted either on the side of the building or on a free stand that you press to open uh, the door. Uh, so they've, yeah. they've got one of these. It's a freestanding, but it's a picture of it. And his text says, every exterior door has motion activated auto open triggers that can trigger on both wheelchair and foot height placed away from the door. Usually the button when it's working, often it's not, is mounted to a frame and is awkward to press for a wheelchair. So this is a, a little stand that's sitting there. And as someone approaches it, uh, and the motion sensor goes off, and that is triggering the opening of the door rather than uh, having to find the location of the button. Well, and let's not even talk about those uh, buttons for guide dog users because you can never find those silly buttons. Like you don't know if it's on the right and the left, <laughs> like it's yeah. supposed to have a height, but you can't find it. Sometimes it's kind of like sort of like behind a pillar. It's really weird. Cause I used to do accessibility audits with a friend uh, for the university that I was at and it was incredible. Like sometimes you can never find it. And you know, if you're sighted maybe, but if you're blind, good luck. <laughs> In this picture, it's the 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 stand. So it's about. I'm gonna make a guess because this photo doesn't make it doesn't make it easy. I'm gonna guess it's about three or four feet from the uh, from the actual wall. Uh, he doesn't show how it is exactly positioned with the door, and it's a it's a a, a black column that comes up, and uh, you can see that a good portion of it is a motion sensor, and the motion sensing part seems to go all the way from I would say you know, just above the ankle, all the way up to the waist. And, uh, and it says it has written on it, uh, wave to open. And as a picture of the, you know, the, the normal, like person in a wheelchair graphic that you, you sometimes see on like, uh, accessible parking spots, et cetera. 
And so the idea is you just need to approach it and it's your trigger. It's a little wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah it looks like a, it's just well, like a little line drawing. And you're blind drawing. and you're looking for it. You just wave like a like like crazy, you know, like when you're looking for like braille signs. So, but you just do that on the bottom and wang. The one thing good. I'm curious about is uh, how um, audible the the door opening is, because. Uh, uh, the one thing, if it was a really, really quiet door, I can imagine you walk past it, you trigger the door, you don't know it's opening, and, and, and you run into it while it's opening. True. But uh, I don't think that that's probably an unlikely scenario. But because uh, I know Apple likes things very quiet. Yeah, I do too. But those doors, they can hit you in the face. <laughs> Unless if they're those lighting doors, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I don't, and we can't see a picture of the door. I am, it's, I don't know if it's a sliding or not. That's a good question. I'm going to, let me see. He's got another picture. Oh, these look, these, these, I don't know. He doesn't have a picture of any of the, any of the exterior doors. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to visually say. Yeah. So, Cause I, I would have taken a picture of the, of the door, like opening like halfway so we could see it. Well, you know what that means? We might just have to go to Apple and visit. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, I'd love to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, let me go on to the next one here. This is a series, I think, of six or seven total. Uh, the second one is a picture that shows just the display area. If you've ever been in an Apple store, you'll, you'll know this layout. It's a bunch of large wooden tables uh, with different products placed on it. Fairly spacious. They put things a good separate separate each item so that you can get two or three people in front of it. You know, they don't cramp everything. And uh, the text says, extremely wide open spaces on the interior. There are no quote-unquote alternative paths for wheelchairs or assistive devices. If you can walk there, you can roll there. And so this is something I think is pretty standard of the Apple stores is they've really started to space things out. And, And the big deal is that even if you've got two tables that are next to each other and you've got a crowd of people on either side like it's let's say it's really busy you could still run a wheelchair a big you know motorized wheelchair through the center of that without bumping into any people and that is amazing because i worked my boss was a wheelchair user for many years and um I remember that when we went to conferences and all that, even sometimes some grocery stores, like, you know, we couldn't really turn around in the hall because there was not enough space. It's really nice to have nice spaced out. And the layout is consistent. I mean, the chair, the the, uh, tables are are positioned in a grid. So, uh, you know, if things are really far apart and you're looking for landmarks as you navigate around, um, there is a consistent layout. So that makes it a bit you know, more predictable as you're trying to move around. Yeah, I was going to bring that up exactly because, for example, one of the the auditorium building of the University of Kansas has a, you know, it's kind of like circular. The building, I think, is square, but inside it has this path. So it looks like it looks like it's a whole ramp, you know, like the, it's kind of like the ramp that kind of goes around the building and this is indoors. And then you find the doors and all that. But for example, for blind users, it was really difficult because there was no landmarks. It's just you didn't know where you were. There wasn't that specific path. It was very spacious and very circular. And there was no 
um, guidelines or landmarks for you to know where you were. So um, I think I find that often when we're talking about accessibility, right? People think blindness is uh, just information access. And then um, everybody thinks that for wheelchairs is all like navigation access, but it really isn't. It's they both need, um, you know, information and uh, navigation access. And they work in a different way because uh, for example, a blind person uh, needs, you know, especially if you're using a cane, you need certain landmarks so you know kind of where to find where you are and where you're turning. And of course, if you have a guide dog, that changes a bunch because guide dogs are totally trained and working in the middle of spacious areas and they kind of guess, you know, you can start guessing, telling them like, right, 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 find a door. And then they will eventually will find a next door that's on your right. But even then, if you come in into a new place that you've never been at and the dog never been there either, you're still going to have to target. So, you know, I think it's it's very awesome that they put in grids because grids are great for navigating. It keeps that consistency and it works for both wheelchairs and uh, blind people. A few years ago, I was uh, I was at the CSUN conference in uh, uh, San uh, San Diego, and uh, we stayed at this beautiful hotel. And there was a lot of attendees there who were you know blind accessibility professionals, and uh, they gave everyone a tour ahead of time to help you know get an idea where all the sessions were going to be. But the thing that struck me is that the hallways in this hotel they were designed so they get wider and narrower and uh they're not like they're not like straight lines <laughs> and uh and they've all like these nooks and crannies that don't go anywhere you know they're not to a specific door or specific areas and it's more like so they have a seating area and uh, i was attending also along with uh, another uh another uh, blind professional who i was friends with and he was just commenting on how easy it was to get disorientated because the hallways were so bizarrely laid out yeah, it's easy to lose spot where you are. But he had been there a couple of years, so he'd gotten used to it and had been the same place. And so he, he got around pretty well. But I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, these hallways are bizarre. Well, like the, I think, convention center at uh, Portland and Oregon, it's very bizarre because they have this huge lobby. You know, you come in and then there's these huge lobbies where you can change things, right? You can uh, I, I guess according to the need of the conference, you can you know, put more tables or create, uh, you know, sort of like a reception area or not. Or I don't know. It it was, but there was a lot of areas that were just huge, and there was nothing for me to know where I was. Like, do you know what I'm saying? If I went straight or if I went a little bit in a oblique line, uh, in diagonal, like I wouldn't know exactly where to stop to turn to go into a table. So there was no uh, feedback except for when I was in the hallways. So hallways were great with just like, you know, just university hallways. You had hallways and in, in, in several rooms that went, you know, along them. But uh, but even some other big ballrooms kind of, you know, where, where you met, when you met with all the people for like a keynote or something, it was just like this huge space with no way of orienting yourself at all. So let me jump on to the next one here. Now, this picture here is is not particularly very 
visually descriptive. It's it's a picture basically showing a sign pointing towards uh, bathrooms that have that universal accessibility image on it. And it says, a second set of bathrooms specifically for disability guests. All fixtures in these rooms seem to be mounted lower than in the other rest- restrooms, surpassing ADA requirements. Stalls are all wider than in most multi-occupant bathrooms. So this picture doesn't tell me like where they are in relation to the other bathrooms, but they do have just a, it's obviously a set that's specifically uh, uh, designed to accommodate. It looks like wheelchair is the is the focus. Well, and I like that because it's the same thing. Um, in fact, I wrote a paper many many years ago, and I even tried to get some people to support me so we could kind of change that on the ADA uh, legislation, but I went nowhere. And my big thing was the same uh, kind of concept because uh, numbers, right? The numbers of the rooms have to be at eye level. So an average person's eye level. Well, but the eye for the blind person is our hands, right? So, and there's no consistency where the where the sign and the braille label is. Sometimes it's, you know, kind of to the left of the door, sometimes it's to the right of the door. And then there are several guidelines for it, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because when you're blind and you're looking for the number of a room, it's always very awkward because you're there looking like an idiot, touching the walls and really high. Plus, if it's a blanket, good luck. You know, you'll never find it. So my idea was we should put the at least the Braille number at hand level. So maybe like where the knobs are, like a knob level of a door, either, you know, in the door or kind of next to it. Because, I mean, uh, you know, the Braille sign. So I think it's uh, it's amazing because the same thing goes with the wheelchair. There is an average uh, eye level when you're on a wheelchair. And I think it maybe the sign should be in both levels, even the sighted one. Well, that's a good point because you're very much right that the uh, the inherent design of putting the braille with the number and the number designed to be at the eye level of an adult definitely causes an issue. You mentioned a really great point that uh, a, a child couldn't reach that or if someone's in a wheelchair and has a, a, a vision impairment as well, um, uh, that might be difficult to impossible for them to reach that braille as well. And the consistency is such a huge thing because uh, what's it's nice to have you know, things labeled in Braille, but it's only useful if it's discoverable. And that's uh, exactly. Well, I'm a, I'm a, you know, user experience designer. So that's a big thing for me. It's context, right? Because sometimes we write legislation, but there's no context in it at all. It in, and it's just like, oh yeah, eye level. So, okay. The eye of the blind person is at the level of most average people, but that doesn't mean anything. And at the Guiding Eyes for the Blind the school that I get my guide dogs from, they do that. Like the numbers of the doors are actually right on top of the knob. And I know that that wouldn't work in every situation because, for example, if it's a classroom and the door is open and it opens inward, you know, you don't want to you don't want it to be there. So people are actually interrupting the class. Right. But I can actually in my paper, I wrote several scenarios that could, you know, create a guideline for that. It's really interesting. Maybe I should publish it on Access Ninja. I think you should. 
Come on. Well, in the same relation of uh, the specifically aiming something for the for the blind, uh, although this is in general, there's uh, uh, the next tweet uh, is uh, the text says floor mounted rails. So people who are using canes don't stray into low overhead areas. Ooh, that is awesome. <laughs> specifically, what the, specifically what he adds is uh, in the uh, in the welcome center. There's more than one level, uh, and so there is a uh, there is an elevator and there is a stairway. And the stairway is one of these stairways where you you walk up half a flight and then you turn, take a right, turn, take a right. So you make right, a little right. U turn and go back up again. And that area you could walk right into, and it's and and the and it's got a, you know an angled ceiling in that area where the right, second right second half goes up and you could easily and that area is just wide open and so what they have is just a metal rail that's mounted and it goes up uh, a couple inches and goes around and that way yeah if you were walking into that corner your your uh your cane would hit that rail before your head hit the ceiling that is awesome that is so thoughtful and you see that's what i mean as a designer because when i was Trying to say things like that, a lot of architects tell me, oh, but then, you know, we are not so concerned. Well, they, they weren't exactly like that. But but the idea was kind of like, you know, we don't want our, uh, how do you call this? I can't remember the word. Like, uh, is that, like, you know, how how, how beautiful it looks, right? They didn't the aesthetics. Want to statics things yeah so they they wanted to make sure that it didn't affect aesthetics and i am a big statics person i mean even my house i like it to look beautiful but there is always a way to even put an extra element and even make it more beautiful and more cool in many ways but it just takes a little more of imagination and apple too their designs in general both their stores and their computers as well the they use a lot of um, a lot of stonework for the for the walls and for the floors and their computers are all you know aluminum they're all metal and so them putting in a metal railing and using a, a a nice aesthetically pleasing metal to represent that not only does it add the accessibility but it, it really fits into their design uh and it, it kind of almost folds in perfectly and so if uh you know, just take advantage of the design work that it represents, you know, you're, you're building your company and it doesn't have to be something that seems like it sticks out. It could be something that seamlessly fits into uh, your building's design. Exactly. Like, you know, if your thing is wood, wow. Like, you know, look at the, the opportunities that could be like, you know, the super intricate wood railing, you know, showing some of your products or abilities with it. Right. If it's, if it's stone, like, I mean, there's so many materials. And even if it was something like super futuristic in, in the case, right? I mean, nothing stops you from using a railing to have like this, uh, I don't know, this plastic in case with some really cool uh, neon whatever or or a malted, you know, those lava lamps kind of stuff. I mean, you can just, I mean, the, the sky is not even the limit. It just takes ingenuity. And your point and what we're talking about kind of folds into the to the next one here. Um, and hey, and I didn't even know. <laughs> Good segue. Uh, so the, the, the next one is uh, here. The text says the rooftop deck also has these railings with integrated lighting. If these aren't primarily meant to help the blind figure out the geography, it's a pleasant accident. 
And what we have is is they're on the rooftop area, and it's it's another railing. This one's a bit taller than the one that was used for the stairwell, uh, but this one has lights pointed at the ground, and so at nighttime, you know, it it, it almost sort of like it's a, an illuminated walkway, like you might see it like at a theater, or uh, maybe even on an, an on an airplane when they turn the lights off so people can see the light. But instead of just putting lights in the ground, they put a railing in, and that railing goes around some areas where there's actually a step down. Because uh, and so the railing there both acts as a uh, guide visually to help you stay on track, but also it would stop a cane and so it would prevent you from going into some areas that have a, a deep, a deep deeper drop. They're not like cliffs, but you might right. be a deeper drop that you. And so, uh, and he mentions too, like it it could be a pleasant accident that they put these in so that they make it visually, but since they put it on a rail rather than integrating it directly into the flooring uh that just adds an extra level of accessibility and yeah, keeps and it pretty I, full right exactly and i think it i i tend to think it was probably not an accident but because you know even if they wanted to have something cool lighting wise i'm pretty sure they kind of went and thought okay how is this gonna affect accessibility and then that's the key right there as you're designing right that's what i always propose is that the time for accessibility is while in your design process, not later, because that's what makes things be awkward and weird and not make it flow right. So the next one is about the store that's in the visitor center. Uh, this also is this this applies to the same places uh, when we were talking about the the tables being laid out here. And he says all the visitor center merchandise is stored on shelves at wheelchair height. No racks with stuff hanging above your head. And what we have is a list of, you know, the the products, you know, as they're laid out um, that you would pick up from the shelf. They are all, you know, basically waist level or down if you want to grab something. There are some display items that are, are held up a bit higher that are closer to eye level. But every item that's at eye level is also at waist or knee level. Yeah, which, which totally makes sense. Like what we were saying about the, you know, the the sign for the doors, you know, I mean, nothing stops you from having one high and one at waist high. And I, I think it's, it's beautiful. Plus if you are into feng shui, it makes a lot of sense because everybody that does feng shui would say that you don't want stuff hanging over people's heads. Cause then it makes you feel like, you know, that things are going to fall onto you. This is a big design change from, uh, at least the original Apple stores. When I when I worked in one, you know, 2005 to 2008, I think, uh, the we had these giant metal shelves uh, that went all the way from all the way from floor all the way up to like where if I would have to stand on my toes to reach the top, so they could fit as much third party product as possible. Right. And then over the years, they started bringing it down, not as high, not as high, not as high, and then lower, lower, lower. And then if we did put something up high, we also had another copy of it lower. And then slowly they worked out the, the they removed the number, the because there was a huge amount of third-party product when I worked there. And now it's just a smaller select, and uh, they moved everything lower and lower. There's still a couple stores out there that use those tall shelves, but at least my experience, they've always had uh, the product that's up high also also down low so that if you were in a wheelchair, you wouldn't have to ask for assistance to get something. But I don't know that they get that 100% right, but it's it's definitely a thought. Oh, goodness. But, you know, and that's the secret with Apple, right? Because everybody, 
I mean, I've heard from even some blind people that were using Apple and, you know, and, and, and then they start complaining. Um, I know that there are issues, right? There, there's always going to be some issues and there was always going to be some bug here and there. But, but the difference is they get it. I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Other, other companies are not even close to that level of accessibility. I mean, what you buy a phone, you buy a computer, you buy an Apple watch and you just, it is right there. You can set it up by yourself. You can, you know, uh, it can talk. Sure. There'll be bugs and, and we have, we have to, <clears throat> we have to work through it, but that's the thing. They're always willing to work. And, and that's why I still love Apple. Oh yeah, and I'm wondering too with their, especially this this building design. You know, they have a a, a new set of people, another another new person overseeing accessibility, um, and I know they're meticulous. So I know they were considering some of these things. It's just interesting to see. I think there is a a collision of both their design standards and some of this accessibility. Sometimes it's at odds because you know they want to minimize and everything, and they want to hide buttons. They want to get rid of as much physical blemishes but <laughs> so, sometimes like <laughs> sometimes their design you know they're wanting um a consistent design kind of and, and a flatter design kind of fits into accessibility which also segues us into the next one here uh which says instead good of segue, John. <laughs> i think people will like it if we have good segues uh but uh maybe we won't have to, we won't point them out all the time. And we're just really <laughs> proud of ourselves right now. Hey, we're doing good for we're doing some, good for people that were rusty, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so uh, the next one says: instead of ramps, the entire structure is built on the exact level as the parking lot. So he's talking about the sidewalk and the building itself. Uh, that there's not a uh, there's not a step up. Let me continue. Uh, usually buildings are a are a curb height higher since it's cheaper to use an elevated concrete pad than to get the earth at the site completely flat for the foundation. But money was no object with Apple's headquarters here. So I added the Apple headquarters. He says money was no object here. And so this picture here, what we can see is that the um, from the entrance itself, from the sidewalk to the parking lot is all the exact same level. And the um, the movement from the sidewalk to the parking lot, there is a small, maybe, maybe two inch, maybe a little bit higher concrete barrier. So that is clear of you know, how far cars should be able to pull up to. Uh, but it's not so high that like a wheelchair couldn't move over. It does have a section where that concrete barrier is non-existent, so you don't have to move over that. But what it means is that you know moving from the parking lot to the sidewalk to the building doesn't require um, a full step up. There's just a couple of bumps and ridges, almost like little speed bumps, uh, that represent uh, the, some of those changes. And uh, and so that just makes it um, there's no there's no physical large step you have to take but there are physical barriers so you know the difference between the parking lot and the sidewalk for example well, and that helps for a for a um, cane user because then you can you know follow the little barriers and or count them or whatever and and it makes it great for the wheelchair user 
because they don't have to bump over anything. And then it takes away the big discussion that always existed. You know, there's uh, I remember one time I was working with my boss and and we were, uh, you know, doing changes like writing changes for for a grant. And uh, and it was funny because like half of the people wanted like no curb cuts at all. Like like, you know, those ramps on the curb cuts should not have any any touch. But then then there was this huge conflict because blind people you know, if there is no way for you to know that the sidewalk is it's done, then you walk right into the street. And then, you know, and then the whole thing was to have some bumps, but then also some wheelchair users have nerve issues. So then, you know, going through little bumps really can create like really, really excruciating pain. And trying to find a mid-ground there is the tough part because you know, as you're lobbying, everybody lobbies for what they want. And and this to me it's a great example of being able to include everybody without any major issues. So this next one here is actually a bit of an accessibility issue. This is not a access a good accessibility design, although it it it's not a it's not a deal breaker, I guess. It says uh uh, the only case of a facility that could not be used by both able-bodied and disabled people was the water faucet at the coffee bar. It's mounted too far back to reach from a wheelchair. Disabled folks have to use one of the standard water fountains found near the restrooms. So they have a, a, a the picture here is of it looks like they've got some sort of you know coffee refreshment area. It's got some snacks and so forth. It's a uh, pretty typical you know uh, a kitchen countertop height and just the faucet itself not all that different than uh, than some other kitchen faucets is is laid back a little bit and uh, from a wheelchair would be very very difficult to reach and so he mentions that there is a water faucet lower but it's you know by the bathrooms which is maybe not the, not the most pleasant water fountain to have to use correct and and i mean i agree it's still an issue and like like we were saying, right? There are little issues, but the great thing is that there is an alternative and close by because I remember I was working in this building and there was a handicap bathroom stall only on the first floor. So every time a wheelchair user needed to go to the bathroom, they had to go to the first floor. And to me, that was very, very, very unfair. Because, I mean, how many times I run to the bathroom, like, you know, I just have five minutes to get there. <laughs> <laughs> and going to, to having to go to the all the way to the first floor, wait for the elevator, all that stuff. It's it was just to me, it was denigrating and and not very, you know, good for dignity. Of course, I've also seen buildings where the women's bathroom is every other floor and the men's bathroom is every other floor, which I also think it's ridiculous. But I think it has to do with, you know, maybe at some point in time that building was only for men or only for women. And then they that's the compromise they they found. But I still think it's like you could have just split the, you know, that bathroom in two. <laughs> like, give me a break. <laughs> so the last two i'm going to combine into one because they're both sort of the same thing so i'm going to read both of them here uh one is a very subtle thing the fire extinguishers are mounted at wheelchair height and behind a door that is not secured with anything more than some magnets there's no glass to break 
Same with the AED, uh, which is a defibrillator for people who are not familiar with. Right, right, uh, right. I usually see these mounted around five feet above the floor, so it is at eye level with an upright uh, with an upright adult. If this is uh, if it's if it's not intentional that it's lower here, it's a happy accident. So what they have is he's got two pictures. One is of the fire extinguisher, and, and you can see it's just got it's 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 a uh, uh, in the wall. There's uh, a picture and an, and then a door with a, a handle on it, and you pull it open, and it's just a magnetic door. And then the AED is over by the uh, the kitchen, and the same sort of thing. And both of them are wheelchair heights, so basically anybody of any height could easily uh, or in a wheelchair could easily open up and, and reach those items. Well, and you know that shows me a commitment to a philosophy more than just accessibility, you know, because I, I was really, I actually was thinking about this two weeks ago because I have been able to help a lot of people lately, which made me feel really happy because unfortunately, very often people don't think that if you are, if you have some kind of disability, people think that you need help, but you're not capable of helping others, which to me is, it's a philosophy issue because every human being to feel fulfilled, right? To have a oxytocin release or right, those good, awesome chemicals that make you feel happy, um, you need sort of like to be able to help and contribute and serve. I mean, it's, it's a big deal to be able to serve. And, and it's uh, very unfortunate that when a person has a disability, this becomes a, a huge problem. Like, uh, I remember maybe a few years ago, I had a friend and she had a baby and she needed to go somewhere. And I said, hey, I can babysit for you. And she never told me yes or no, but, you know, she actually did not go to where she needed to go and she didn't accept my help, right? Instead of telling me, how are you going to do X, Y, and Z? And in not too long ago, uh, another friend has a baby, a, you know, whatever, three months old baby. And, uh, you know, and I said, hey, uh, if you go into your job interview, I can take care of your baby. And she told me, oh, that, thank you so much. But then she stopped and said, oh, how are you going to do the diapers? You know, and then I just told her. And I, and I think that's, it's so awesome. Because then I was like, wow, you know, like, it's not knowing what I can do. I know what I can do. I have like, whatever, like 15 nephews or 17. Uh, but it's not about just me knowing what I can do, but it's also people giving me the chance to use what I can know to help them out. Like, for example, I have, I well, I haven't renewed, but I was a big first aid kind of person. But a lot of times if something is happening and there's nobody else that knew first aid, and I did, a lot of times people wouldn't let me go help people because they thought just, but the fact that I was blind, that I was incapable of doing something that important. And you can't say that, you know, there's some wheelchair user who's also like a professional, like a wheelchair rugby player, or I know it's also known as murder ball player. Uh, wouldn't, <laughs> yes. Like if you had one of those players there and a fire cut out, got, got out, who, he's probably one of the first, he, they might be one of the first people that I'd want to, to go over and get that fire extinguisher and put it out. Cause those people are not afraid of anything. And so and, and they're they are fast. in top shape. 
Exactly, yeah, exactly. But then you go and you put the uh, you, you put the fire extinguisher up uh, high because you're like, well, I want it to be at eye level. And then all of a sudden they can't reach it and uh, and you get a fire going. So it, it, you got to, I mean, honestly, you got to have these things uh, accessible to everyone because everybody it, might be in the position to uh, to save the day. Now, I will say uh, when I was, I think, 17, I lived in the 12th floor of a building that started uh, a fire on the third floor. So as I was going down, my sister had her, my nephew on her arm. So she told me, hey, there is the fire extinguisher. And I was like, where is it? It was kind of like, it was kind of at the foot level because I was coming down. It was in the middle of the stairs. It's those are stairs that just goes kind of round it like makes a U shape, you know, and it gets narrower in the inside of the steps. So this was on the outside. So I just kicked it, broke and pull it out and started like running down, you know, and, and, but here's the funny thing. I helped a lot. And I even like, I think I hit the face of this lady because she was kind of totally in shock out of herself, like yelling for her kid and her kid was already in the first floor, but she couldn't hear. And she was kind of like stopping the, you know, the flow of traffic down. So I just kind of grabbed her and like I slapped her, you know, and I said, your son is down, go, you know. And so I did all this stuff. And I mean, I had like high adrenaline going on. And then and then when, you know, things subsided, I went downstairs and I sat in the outside steps of the of the building and I started shaking like crazy. But this was after the whole thing was done. During the, during the incident, I was on top. And then... It was so funny because then these ladies that, you know, the, all these people that I had helped shove them down because they couldn't see because of the, the smoke, right? So I guide them down and then I would go up and grab more people that were like lost. And and then she, this lady just goes and says like, oh, when my mom was there, right? My mom had just arrived. And then she's like, oh, your daughter is so nervous and blah, blah, blah. And then they just started talking like totally not you know, not recognizing anything that I did. And I was like, what a bunch of jacks, you know? <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's, again, it's, it's part of that ignorance and, and, and what people think they, you know, they, I mean, without me, they wouldn't have been able to go through the smoke, but you know, what do you know? Well, that covers the, um, the Twitter thread, uh, that, uh, Zarf or Zarf, yeah, Zarf, Zarf wrote there. Uh, so if you want to see those images, uh, feel free to jump on Twitter and uh, search for uh, at Zarf there. Ch check them out. And uh, there's another just uh, access thing that's been that's been talked about re recently is that in the actual headquarters, uh, they have a lot of glass walls. I don't know if you've been hearing that there's there's been some talk that people have been uh, bumping into them a lot because they're perfectly clean and clear. <laughs> so my recommendation Sorry. is that we just get we just get some uh, we just get, get some canes for the Apple employees uh, at uh, at Apple Park who are having a problem with that. <laughs> I mean, there's, that awesome. I've been through these places. Apparently, those walls because they've got this perfect glass, they're completely invisible. So, right. Well, what they, <laughs> that would be really funny to see all the sighted people with white canes. That would be ultimately uh, very funny. And I bet, but you know what? Canes would help in this case. I really don't think that would have helped a guide dog. 
Like my dog keeps trying to. <laughs> I'd say find a door. He keeps like stopping in the middle of these glasses. You know, like there's glass walls, and and then he, and then there's a metal. You know, like a a metal. How do you call this? Like you know, a little divider, right? In in the in the glasses. So he he stops in in a metal divider and just stands there. And I'm like, there is no knob, silly. Like you know, go find a bar. But it's just funny because he always wants to go through the glass. This is a problem they had at the uh, many of the the retail stores when they first launched them because they have big glass walls that separate the inside of the store from the exterior. And what they ended up doing was putting some. Uh, just some markings on the glass so that was a little bit more obvious. And then whenever they do a window display, the window display is right up against the glass and it goes all the way to the edge to try to guide uh-huh. people through. So uh, I'm sure they'll figure <laughs> it out. It's a new building. They're going to find issues. Uh, but uh, but that's uh, that's a little bit funny, I guess. Uh, yeah, it is. It would be actually... See, we should go there again. See if my dog can find a door. <laughs> That is awesome. Oh, I do have a funny thing to say about that kind of accessibility. And it happened at Costco, actually. And uh, we, well, my husband saw the sign for the bathroom. And it's not a high level. I mean, at eye level. It's actually in the top of the door. So it's maybe six foot high. Like, so you have to, even if you can see, you have to push your 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 head back in order to see it and i if you're close right so i think they did that so people can uh, identify what the bathroom is from far away but the funniest thing is that they have a braille sign there too <laughs> <laughs> and i have to find i took a picture because i think i put my cane up like if it was like a lightsaber <laughs> of course that wouldn't help me read it but it was just funny um i should find that that photo well, I want to wrap this up here in just a minute or two. But before we leave, um, you recently watched uh, the movie Black Panther, right? Yes, I did. Now, did you listen? Did you mean did you uh, have the audio description or did you just uh, go to the movie and listen to it as it as as is? No, of course I had audio descriptions. <laughs> I will never pay for a movie ever, ever, ever again if they don't have audio description. That's that is just. Um... Yeah, I used to do that before, but I didn't go to the movie a lot. And now that there is audio description, I think in every movie theater in the U.S., I mean, as long as they have a digital screen. and That's exactly uh, right. They, they, they updated ADA to include uh, movie theaters need to, be able, need to provide uh, audio description equipment if they are, um, if they've built, if it's a new construction or if they're using uh, digital projectors. Um, they do not legally have to require uh, have to um, provide it for a film. So if it's like a, a place that plays classic films and they're playing old films, they may they're not legally required to. But if it's a digital screen, uh, as of uh, as of recently, they do have to have them. I just want to reinforce that. Yeah, to everybody. I know because the um, the local place um, where I live in Fort Collins, so it's Lyric Cinema is the place that plays. Um, you know, like alternative, uh, what do you call that? Indie movies, right? Yeah, indie films. And, and I think they also have, um, I think they have analog, but the Amenko Oov, I think is how you pronounce it, but people says Amenko Oov, which was a very um, popular book lately, had a movie. And unfortunately, it's also with subtitles, which that's why I don't like 
to watch a lot of indie movies unless if it's a language I can speak and but I really wanted to see that movie and yeah they didn't have audio descriptions and I should also clarify that if it's a digital projector they're required to have the equipment but it's up to the movie producer to provide that audio description so some films do not get audio described all the almost all the major films do but some of the indies do not so you, so Joe, if you go into a theater it's a digital projector they're playing an indie film and they don't have audio description that that might be completely out of the hands of the actual uh facility it's it's the production company so don't don't uh, just make sure the right people get blamed is all i'm saying yeah exactly let's like if we're going to spread blame, spread it to the right places. But I really wish that indie producers, and I know that a lot of times, you know, it's a, some indie movies, it's, you know, low budget and all that stuff. But I really wish that we could come up, even if it's like a volunteer based stuff that, you know, people could not only do the other description, but even do the, you know, kind of reading the subtitles. I mean, you know, because a lot of them cannot, for example, afford a, a dubbing session, right, for another language. But I mean, even if it was just reading, that would be like so awesome because, you know, there's some really awesome indie movies out there. Like I love uh, Bollywood movies, but it's really hard, even though they have English, like half of the stuff is in Hindi and it's it's really hard to follow up. And of course... Um, they have a lot of music and dancing too, which would definitely require audio description. <laughs> okay, but going back to Black Panther. Yes, uh, yes. I did, <laughs> I did get, sorry, I went there on a tangent. Um, I did get to see it and I thought it was a, a, a great movie. The, the audio description was for the most part really, really good. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have instances where I kind of missed what was going on i think the only thing i would say is um you know there were there was several like um you know unknown names to me so i think uh one of the um, so the king had i think two tribes right that were his kind of uh, that, that comprised his guards so i think the one that there were the women i think it was called monom monomalage or I, I'm probably killing the name and so they kept saying you know things like oh the monomalage is there or and I had no clue who that was until the very end when uh spoiler alert when there was the fight going on between the two um you know the two tribes that that um comprised the the the, the kind of like the royal guard and so it took me a long time to figure out that that, that was two different tribes. As someone who uh, struggles with names, sometimes I can I can definitely um, I can definitely relate, especially if they're not clear or they or they don't reinforce it. You know, if they say it just once or you have to pull it out of context, um, that could be tricky. And there was a lot of groups of people in this movie, a lot of separate tribes and groups, and they all had names that were um, you know mostly Wakanda is not a real place, but it takes place in, in a fictional country in Africa. And if, uh, you know, and so the names are, are very African. And so if, you know, it's like when you go to a, a, another country and you hear a bunch of names and those names are derived from, you know, that, that culture's language and you're not familiar with it, it makes the names exceptionally harder to, to pick up and memorize on the fly. Yeah. I mean, I'm usually good, but that time is hard. <laughs> well, and and it wasn't really that. I think the the problem was, 
it, and I don't know, maybe you you watched it, right? I did, yeah. Okay. So maybe was there like a visual, a, a visual difference that let you know that there were different tribes? I imagine. Yeah, yeah. There was definitely a you know a, a each tribe uh, it, uh, was based many of them based around a different animal. So a lot of their clothing uh, and was visually representative of that. Whether or not it's something that's a, a you know a, a like there is one tribe that uh was based around like these gorillas and they would wear these you know much more like fur outfits and uh and there was another tribe that worked with rhinos and they would have like a darker and a gray so yeah there was a lot of visual cues to separate them okay and that, so so i take it back <laughs> <laughs> the other description was good but not good enough because that that was the point i I didn't realize that there were three tribes until the fight broke over. And I mean, okay, when they were recognizing him as a king, right? Uh, the tribes did say, you know, today tribe blah 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 won't challenge, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so that was the first time that I was aware that there was uh, tribes, and then. So the gorilla, I think, is the one that did come and challenge him. So um, that's right. Yeah, and then I did know about the rhinoceros because you know they they describe how the the super awesome Amazon-like woman you know goes in and and the the rhinoceros goes in and leaks her. So then so that's when I was like, oh, okay, so that tribe might might be with the rhinoceros, but I never figure out what happened to the, you know, I never got the information about the other tribes at all, or, or not even an instance about their animals, except for the gorilla and the, the rhinoceros one. There, there's a lot of very interesting visual stuff in this, but there's, there's one thing that I am going to guess they did not do justice to that, that just, just striking to me. And this is maybe a little funny, but the, uh, the antagonist, uh, one of, the antagonist in this, or at least one of the antagonists, uh, who goes by the name Eric Killmonger, which is yes. a very comic book name, uh, is played by Michael B. Jordan. Yes. And, uh, and there is a, I don't know that words could describe how incredibly like ripped and cut he was. There's several scenes where there's one scene where, uh, where there's something burning in the background. I don't want to talk too many details, but he's, he's got his shirt off and he's just standing there. And I have never seen a man like more perfectly built, just like muscle, like everything is perfect. And I was just like, Oh my God, Michael B. Jordan must have, has got like zero body fat and it's, right. it's super and, ripped. And I think, I think they did say something about, um, you know, a muscular thing. I think they used the word muscular, a very muscular man. I think they said that, but I mean, but from the yeah. whole description, it seemed that they were all pretty darn fit. Yeah, well, that's right? very true. Like yeah, Black Panther, so then... Chadwick Boseman in this movie was also very, very fit. It's just uh, he was Michael B. Jordan was just like a a a, a, a it was just like a different type of fit of fit. Right, right. No, no, and I guess I yeah. guess that because I mean that guy was like was a seal, so I knew that. You know, I know that he he was a seal. I mean, not the not the actor, but the character, right? He was a seal, and he was um, was like I don't know, like he had done three things in the U.S., which 
which are known for being like super fit, right? Super amazing. But, um, and who was, was describing was a guy. And, you know, again, we had that monotone thing too, because I mean, you know, maybe if it would have been a woman or a gay man, you know, they could have sent in a very like rip man. <laughs> you, know, like, you could have maybe gotten in the, on the, on the, on the tone, you know, of the voice to make a little justice on this, but no, we we didn't get anything like that. I I the only thing they told uh, they s described was that he had a I think a, a mohawk, right? He had a, he had an interesting haircut where he had uh, it, I wouldn't call it a a, a a mohawk. He's got his hair kind of styled up, and it kind of goes over to the side. It looks almost like a mohawk, but it's not sitting straight up. It's almost curled. Oh, all I can say is it's a super cool haircut that very few people could pull off, and he totally does. Yeah, and uh, I would have said maybe like you know it, it was a modified mohawk then because I mean I thought it was a straight you know like I mean you say mohawk I think of mohawk you know like yeah mohawk has a very distinct like feeling or tone to it and this is not right. the same thing it's very like the mohawk's very punk rock you know like, uh -huh. like i don't care about anything i'm a right. rebel and this was more like just like a really stylish haircut see and and i totally messed out on that and see it was very interesting and again like you know i'm super grateful that there is audio description but i mean it definitely opened all these questions where i was like what and then and i mean and there were several things that stayed kind of unopened you know like i mean sorry that stayed open like you know there wasn't a closing and again i don't know if that was a you know was it an audio description thing or was maybe a movie thing like so i don't know like for example when he's dying right and and then Spoiler alert! Please don't listen to the stuff because we are really going in. <laughs> we, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, we should put a little alarm like. <laughs> but anyways, the funny thing was, you know, they, you know, he's there, and then he said how he pulls his uh, arrow out. You know, like I think it was an arrow or uh, whatever they call the the thing that they fought with, and um, and then in the end, you know, he has to be thrown in, in the sea, but then. He, they just say he just lays him in the on the ground, and I don't know if he lays him, if he like throws dirt on him and buries him there, or he just left him there, or like so. I was kind of confused and wasn't really sure where was you know what happened there. It was kind of like whoop, left hanging. So, all right, that's a quick summary of uh, of what your experience was at with the Black Panther. I think we'll uh, we'll maybe close out here unless there's any other final comments you wanted to leave us with. Uh, no, this was awesome, and it was a great second episode back, and I think we can do some awesome stuff next time. Absolutely. Hopefully, we're gonna uh, we're gonna we're trying to secure, but we'll probably discuss in some detail. Um, some many of you have probably heard that the. The House, uh, the U.S. House, uh, has uh, voted for some legislation to modify ADA, that which then moves it on to the uh, the Senate, which has to take a look at it and they can modify it and so forth. We'll talk about that in detail next time. See you all. Till then, be well and be awesome. Yes, everyone, take care and uh, hey, be nice to each other. All right. <laughs>